time to wake up. It's Saturday morning. Find some milk and cereal. Grab a bowl and spoon. No, a bigger spoon. Head to the living room and take a seat on the floor. But Joseph and Chris present to you... Saturday Morning Cartoon! Hello everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom! This is a show where we wake up with a Saturday morning sun, plop down the living room floor with a big bowl of sugary cereal, and watch all your favorite cartoons, both old and new. I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. And this morning, we watched The Mysterious Cities of Gold. 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 <laughs> Gold. <laughs> Gold. <laughs> How what, are we, what are we doing? This was suggested by Shane via email. Thank you, Shane. Yes, thanks, Shane. The show, The Mysterious Cities of Gold, I keep forgetting to add the the to it, but there is a the in I front of it. I too. Yeah. So, The Mysterious Cities of Gold aired from 1982 to 1983. The story was written by Gene Chalapin and Bernard... Reese and is very loosely based on the novel The King's Fifth by Scott O'Dell, produced by Deke Entertainment and Studio Piero. This is actually a French-Japanese uh, TV series or cartoon. Wait, wait what? F- say that again? French? It, it's what? it's a it's a French-Japanese cartoon. How? Okay, <laughs> that's like the weirdest combo I think I've ever heard. Like, how is that? Yeah, how did, I had to how look at it. Happen? If, I had to look at it a couple times to make sure I was right. But yeah, uh, it, it ran um, for only one season, but it was 39 episodes on the NHK network in Japan, ABC and SBS in Australia, TV One in New Zealand, Children's BBC in the UK, and Nickelodeon in the US. And I'm not sure which uh, French station it aired on. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but it was pretty much all over the place. But it started in French in Japan initially and then came to those other countries. Interesting. For a short synopsis, a trio of kids must search throughout 16th century South America for personal answers linked to the legendary El Dorado. Is it El Dorado? I mean, they know they never really. I don't think they mention El Dorado. I don't think they mention it. Well, not in the episodes we watched anyway, but I'm sure they do talk about it at some point. I mean, that's the. I don't know a whole lot about the history of it, but I do know that El Dorado is like the city of gold, or cities of gold, or at least the road to the cities of gold, or something. Okay. Exactly. So, so Chris, who are some of the actors who played in this one? Okay, so first of all, we have the voice of Esteban is Shiraz Adam. The voice of Zia is Janice Chaikelson. I Maybe. I don't <laughs> Hopefully that's how you say it. <laughs> maybe. The voice of Tao is Adrian Knight. The voice of Pedro is Michael Rudder. voice of Sancho is Terrence Labros. And the voice of Mendoza is Howard Reichpan. None of those sound real familiar to me. Usually, None of them are familiar to yeah, anyone. Yeah, you, usually we'll have somebody... We'll, we'll always have Frank Welker in like every other cartoon we watch, but... Not today. Not today. So, <laughs> for a few tasty marshmallows out of our big bowl of Mysterious Cities of Gold cereal, there were two games, two video games produced by Yenis Entertainment, The Mysterious Cities of Gold, Flight of the Condor, for Apple iOS users in 2013, and the Mysterious Cities of Gold Secret Paths for the PC in 2013 after a successful Kickstarter campaign, which was also released in 2014 for iOS, Wii U, and a Nintendo 3DS. Do you know anything about these games? Nope, I didn't know there was any games of this. 
I did not know that either. This completely, I, a lot of this I was reading, I didn't even believe it because this show was so unknown to me. It was very uh, under the radar, at uh, least to me. To us, yeah. Uh, in, in the English version, the Lost Continent in the Pacific is referred to as Hiva. However, in every other version, including the original French, it's called by its far more familiar name, Mu. Mu? M-U. No, nope, that's not familiar at all. Mu? I'm not Mu. familiar either. But I guess Mu. if you're familiar with the uh, uh, just any kind of you know Aztec, Mayan kind of culture history, then that might be familiar to you, but yeah, not me. Yeah, I have no me. idea, man. No clue. In an early draft of the concept, the golden condor was a metallic gray condor, and Solaris, the solar vessel, was a much more simplistic wooden sailboat with oars activated by a steam engine. Luckily, one of the head writers, Bernard Derice, came up with the much cooler designs that we ended up with. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I would have felt about a gray condor, like a metallic gray condor. It doesn't have the same ring to it as golden condor. Um, yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> Is that what they would call it, metallic gray condor? <laughs> That's the only thing they could have called it. Quick, let's get back to the metallic gray condor. <laughs> metallic gray condor, to my side. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That doesn't sound as good. No, not the same ring to it. Yeah. Uh, lastly, the Olmecs do not appear to be human, but or if they were once human, it is implied that they have horribly mutated from the fallout of a nuclear war that destroyed their ancestors. We'll definitely be touching on that in the last episode we watched for today's show, so we won't go into it anymore right now. But Chris, you have no memories of this show either? No, my memories were wiped completely. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. don't think I ever had memories of this. I didn't know this existed at all. No, me neither. Like It, it seems like I would have because A, it came out in 82 and was still airing at some point while we were kids. Uh, B, it just got like a sequel to it. Oh yeah, the the one that just came out, the 2012 one, is actually a sequel. It's not like a remake. It's a continuation. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and still, I knew nothing about it. It was a Kickstarter and everything, so it was like a big deal, and it was successful, and I still knew nothing about it. Wow, we need to pay more attention to things. Yeah, we are very out of the loop. But, uh... To preface the review, though, let me just say, like, how did I not know about this? I right? really enjoyed this show. Oh, my God. Me, too. I got okay, sucked good. in. Yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> so We were, like, I think we were both, like, casually testing the water, like, <laughs> did did he like it? I don't know. Well, because like the last couple ones we watched, it was, like, uh, well, not, not Mutant League. That one we both disliked. But the ones well, before yeah, it, it was, like, one of us loved it, one of us didn't, the and vice versa on the one before that, so... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this one I think we can both agree on, but we'll talk about it right now and jump right into the episode we watched for today's show. Very first episode, highest rated episode, and finally, random listener chosen episode. Order may vary depending on how these episodes fall chronologically, but of course we have to start with the very first episode being Esteban, Child of the Sun, Season 1, Episode 1. Right now. Where after his caretaker dies, Esteban, a mysterious boy rescued at sea as a baby, embarks on a voyage in the new world to find his real father. Yes, yeah, sort of. So we get to see that they're looking for, actually they do mention it in this first episode, they're looking for the paths to El Dorado and the mysterious cities of gold. Um, and uh, this is held in 1532 in Barcelona, Spain initially. And we're seeing how Esteban is a, a rambunctious young man who is kind of running around the cathedral and stuff and, and actually runs into a bar and to because he likes to hear the stories that the, the travelers are telling. And I think he's about like um, 
you know, I couldn't get a feel for his age, but I think at one point it was said that he was alive 10 years ago, so I'm guessing he's maybe 11. Yeah, I would I would say about 11, if even that, because he was an right. infant when he was rescued. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he lives at, like, a monastery with a bunch of friars, um, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. And and there's, a like, a father there that's been taking care of him. Not his father, but, like, a father at this monastery. Right, that's Father been, Rodriguez. Um, taking care of him. And um, who is now sick and pretty much on his deathbed. But apparently Esteban doesn't know just how bad it is. Um, but like when he because he's leaving the monastery and one of the friars is kind of yelling after him to to stop. But he runs to the bar to, you know, hear the sailors and or pirates because some of them look piratey tell their stories. And the friar all of a sudden like this happens a lot in this ep- or this um, show is th- that some of them talk extremely fast. And it was like as soon as he started leaving the friars goes from normal pace to like an auctioneer. See, I wonder so, if that was dubbing. Yeah, my original thought was like I didn't know this was French or Japanese. My original thought was maybe this was Spanish um since it takes place in Spain and stuff. So I was like, well, maybe it's just like they're trying to literally translate and dub, but maybe the animation is too quick for um the English dub so they're having to cram a lot in by talking really fast. Right, very speed racer like. It was even faster than Speed Racer, honestly. I think this was the fastest dub I've ever seen in my life. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> so uh, some of the uh, monks from the monastery come looking for him because they want to bring him back to Father Rodriguez, who, like you said, is is close to death. He's on his deathbed. And so they're looking for him. They offer out... Uh, a gold bar to whoever can find him. So that sends, of course, all of these mercenaries out searching and hunting for him when all the while he's just hiding inside the bar. But then we get to see this guy who we don't know who he is at the time turns out to be Mendoza, who is in the bar still, and he knows that Esteban is there. I guess it's a little strange because he doesn't want... He doesn't necessarily want the gold, or, or he doesn't just want one gold. So he's just like, eh, I'm not going to bother with it. So I'm not going to tell anyone you're here. It kind of changed space because he, because at first he thought Esteban was just a kid. So he's like, no, I'm not going to turn you in for a gold bar. Because all he's yeah. thinking about is he wants to find the cities of gold. Right. So he's like, no, that's a waste of my time. I'm not going to turn you in until he sees the pendant that Esteban's wearing. And then like you can see something kind of clicks for him. And he's like, is it you? And then he tries to like grab Esteban's arm and Esteban runs out of the bar, which is kind of funny because on his way out, he knocks over a bottle, but stops to like right, like take it right side up again and then keep (laughs) running. Which yeah. is kind of a funny, like, subtle insight into what kind of character Esteban is. But later on, Mendoza is kind of the one that ends up getting him caught. But for good reason. It's because Mendoza now knows Esteban is this um, this child of the sun, um, as everybody refers to him. And actually, Mendoza had met him in the past. And... Um, once Esteban with him for a very specific reason. Yeah, we get to see him. Well, uh, while uh, while Esteban's on the run, running around with this puppy, the whole city's chasing him. He, We find out right here, actually, we get to see a lot of Esteban's character in this first episode. He's standing on a wall to try to escape them, and then he looks down and he starts getting dizzy. And that's something that recurs through, I think, every episode we watch that he he basically has a fear of heights. He gets, yeah, he gets really bad vertigo. 
Right. And uh, it, it plays off here, too, which leads him to falling into the crowd. So then they're he's brought back when they're on their way out or they're they're kind of carrying him around on a um, I don't know. What are those called where you like when you're transporting a king or something or royalty? I, I don't remember, but it's like basically one of those little um, it's like a chair that's kind of enclosed with curtains. And there's yeah. four rods and there's four people carrying it, like two in the front, two in the back. And they're basically right. parading him through the town. And he's got like a Pope hat on. And like this part was weird to me because I was just like, what is this? <laughs> but apparently it's like there's some belief that Esteban has some sort of power over the sun. And the sun has not shown for a while. And it's just been stormy and rainy and stuff. So they're like, oh, we got him. And they like hoist him up at the top of this boat. And they're asking him to ask for the sun to come out. And um, it's kind of shaking. And, you know, he's already like afraid of heights so he's freaking out and saying no and he's like i hope the sun never comes out and he's just all angry so then it starts storming really bad and then immediately clears up and the sun comes out so they all think oh yay esteban did it but we don't really know because it could be just a coincidence they kind of leave that up to us to decide if he actually made that happen yeah even though he didn't want to or if it's just coincidence like to me it feels like it's coincidence but i don't know i think it was I think in a way, just by some of the the way the rest of this series goes, he does have this ability. Uh, at least it, that's the way it's conceived. Because the reason that he, the reason it comes out this time is because you know at first he's you know saying like I, I never wanted to stop raining. I, I don't want the sun to rise or whatever. And then like the wind starts blowing fiercely and basically almost knocking him over or knocking his uh, the what's carrying him over so he would fall from that height. And then as he starts to like stumble around, like then the sun comes out. So basically it comes out in response to his uh, fear or in response to uh, for his safety, it comes out, I think. But like you said, it's kind of left up to interpretation because there's, it doesn't directly come out by his command or anything. Right. And there's no like, indication of him using some sort of powers or anything it just happens Mm -hmm. but everyone believes that that it was his doing so and and i think that's interesting because there's some things like that that happened a couple times throughout the show that we saw where it's just like okay is this coincidence or is it not we then get to see actually this takes us to the part where it shows us how he is rescued by mendoza uh when he is a child so mendoza uh his biological father, Esteban's, while is carrying him around while he's a baby on this boat, and it's really stormy weather, and you know they're basically about to be knocked. Their boat's about to topple over, and they're going to drown. So these other two boats come in, and Mendoza dives off of the boat to go and save the baby, and he's unfortunately unable to save the father who drifts off. He doesn't necessarily, we don't get to see him pass away or anything, but he drifts off. And so the assumption is that he's either been lost at sea or he has died. But we get to see the connection at this point where Mendoza is the one who rescued him. And so that's the connection that they have. And then that comes, that brings us to the point where Father Rodriguez is passing away. Yeah. And basically, so like 
Father Rodriguez was basically explaining, you know, how Esteban had come to be with them, mm-hmm. you know, and Mendoza's actually on the other side of the door listening in because he knows there's something familiar about this kid because of that pendant. So he's trying to, to he's basically just eavesdropping and then he's like, oh man, like I was the, like, this is the kid that I rescued because Mendoza was the one that jumped in, saved him as him and his dad were about to drown, pulled him back. Um, so now he knows, okay, this is the child of the sun. He has the other part of that pendant. So then he goes and talks to Esteban and it's just like, hey, like I was the one that saved you and starts kind of explaining th- this whole thing about he believes that he may have come from the cities of gold and that he might be the only one that can actually lead them back there. And that's what he's doing. And he's like, hey, your dad might still be alive. We never saw him actually go under the water. We just lost sight of him. Maybe he's out there. Maybe we'll find him if you go with me. But basically, just he's trying anything he can do to convince Esteban to go with him. Yeah, he gives him a place. He's like, all right, meet, meet us here at this time. And we're going to take off. And uh, while... We get we jump to a scene where Mendoza's waiting there and he's assuming he's not coming, so he's about to take off, and then we get to see Esteban start running towards the boat. He wants to join in, and so uh, apparently they've put the crew, the whole crew, to sleep. They basically drugged the whole crew so that yeah, no they one got him like super drunk or something. <laughs> so there's no opposition to uh, bringing this child on board. And no one can, and they basically they'll have already taken off, so they can't turn around and bring him back. Is there? thought process right um so mendoza hides him below deck for the time being until they take off and everything so that no one else knows he's there and at that point he like he starts hearing some rustling in a box and one of the other crates that's aboard and so he goes and opens it and it turns out to be zia who is an indian girl who they kidnapped because well, she's an Incan girl, uh, and she they kidnapped her because she can translate the Incan uh, text, the Incan yeah. like tablets and such. And uh, that we get we got to see her very briefly earlier when uh, Esteban was being carried through the city, and he they like exchange glances, but nothing really happens there. Yeah, and she so, looked like she might be some sort of like slave or um i don't know some sort of aid in like the house of maybe like the the king or queen or something like that yeah because she was definitely with them she was definitely um taken from her previous family or from her original family which makes me think she might have been a slave but yeah it was kind of weird that like they kidnapped this little girl yeah put her in a box i was like geez and so this made me think like, man, maybe Mendoza isn't, like, the good guy we think he is. Oh, yeah, that's what a, I thought, too. There's several instances of this show that I'm like, like, I have second thoughts about Mendoza through this entire thing. At least each episode <laughs> we watched, I'm like, he might not be the good guy. Yeah. So, yeah. I, he, I really feel like he's kind of straddling that line the whole time, at least with, with what we watched. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so after, so that closes out this first episode, but we get to see, and this is something that continues on, like a brief history lesson at the end of the episode. It's maybe like a two-minute-long thing where it's kind of a, a small documentary on something relevant to. I think this one was regarding El Dorado, but it actually uh, it also mentions um, like how they worship the sun god and things like that. And so it's giving you a brief history of um, 
just some of these cultures. And I thought that was a really cool addition, mixing that into this uh, action adventure show. It is cool. And they kind of mix history in with the show, too, because the boat that um, Mendoza was on when they found Esteban and his father in the water was um, the the boat of Magellan, mm, uh, the famous yeah. pioneer. So, yeah, or the famous sailor. So that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. And so that brings us to the second episode we watched for today's show, The Ship Solaris, season one, episode six, which was a listener pick. Yeah, I think... <laughs> There was a there was a typo somewhere in translation, but I I'm I'm 99.9999999992 percent sure that this was the the episode that Shane had picked. So Shane, if it wasn't, I'm really sorry, but I'm pretty sure this was the one that that he meant. And I couldn't I, find his email the other day when I was trying to double check it, so I couldn't get a hold of him and ask. But um, yeah, so the ship Solaris, yay. I, I feel like this would have been, because it was a really cool episode, but we'll go into it. Was, it. Yeah, there is some big things that happen in this one. So. Mm-hmm. so in this one, Mendoza and his men follow Esteban and Zia to the second island where Tao lives. And with Tao's reluctant help, they discover the ancient secrets hidden within the island. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> that's that's happening a lot with all the descriptions. They were like, sort of. Yeah, yeah. So I guess what happened in the episode before this is I guess their ship had I think they shipwrecked or something and they're, yeah, that's they're what it seems stuck like. on this island and it just looks like I don't know exactly where the rest of the crew is but it's just like Mendoza Sancho Pedro um, Esteban and Zia and none of the others are really there I'm not sure what happened to them I wouldn't doubt that they may have been killed or something because this show doesn't really shy away from saying things like that or yeah, it at really least doesn't which is interesting. in the in the background having things like that happen so yeah the the episode leading up to this is where they kind of they don't meet Tao necessarily but he is introduced because he's a thief who steals one of their charts a pistol and takes Zia with him and Esteban chases him down, and uh, that's when uh, Mendoza and Pedro and Sancho start to follow him, or try yeah. to follow them all. Right, and that's where this episode begins, is um, basically we're seeing Esteban and Zia in this um, big, like, treetop place, which is is really cool. Like, I don't know how exactly to describe it, but it's basically like a giant tree with several huts built into it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a tiny little town inside this tree, but Tao is the only one that lives there. It, w- it was built by, it, well, his grandfather started building it. His father continued that. And then uh, Tao has been a part of it as well. But his grandfather and father have now passed away. So he's living there alone. Right. And I thought that was interesting to have just that that kid kind of living on his own there. I thought that was uh, an interesting approach, at least. Yeah, especially too, because they ask him if it's lonely, and he's like, "No," and I was like, "Oh, well then." <laughs> well, he does have his his parrot, uh, Coca Petal, uh, yeah. or something. He does have a parrot with him, so he doesn't trust. Um, he doesn't trust Esteban. Um, he specifically doesn't trust the white man because he there there was prophecy that this dark haired girl who would be Zia would meet him. He's going just based off of these prophecies. Whether coincidence or not, we can't say, but that's when they're introduced. He has an initial distrust of Esteban. 
And uh, especially once he finds the, once he, he pulls out the gun and he's like, what is this thing? Like, you know, what does it do? And he accidentally fires it at Esteban. Yeah. So like, I got actually nervous when he pulled the gun out because Esteban was like, don't, it's loaded. And he's like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. And he's waving it around and points at Esteban and like, I seriously was getting really tense. Yeah. And then it got even worse because he fires and you see Esteban hit the ground. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like he just shot Esteban. That's what I thought too. And like, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. And it like, they purposely made you on edge because they cut away and went to Mendoza, Sandra and Pedro who are away trying to find out where the kids are and they hear the gunshot. So they start kind of like running towards it. And I'm like, oh no, they're going to get there and he's going to be shot. But Esteban had just, I guess, like jumped out of the way and the bullet hit the hut. Yeah. And it was all right. He kind of just dropped down and the bullet hit the hut. But that, that let uh, Tao know that this is a dangerous weapon and this is probably how the white men are going to destroy their cities or something like that. It was an intense thing and it was actually like, it, it was really cool that like, it's one of those things that I know I didn't see this as a kid, but I feel like if I was a kid, I would have not picked up on this as much. But for one, I mean, it's not only just showing the dangers of like uh, a gun, like a loaded gun especially in the hands of a child, but it's also kind of prophesying what European settlers and stuff are going to do to like the Americas once we get there. Like, you know, they're going to take over and, you know, his whole thing was like, oh, they're going to destroy the cities of gold. But if you think about it, I'm like, okay, to like, especially like Native Americans and stuff like that, the the white people kind of came over and ruined everything. Mm. for him you know so i i thought that was a really interesting thing that they threw in there because kids won't get it but adults would see that and see that parallel it was so smart the way that they scripted this out and uh i guess the way this was performed maybe it's maybe the structure is based on the book that it was originally from but uh, i i don't know for sure but i'll i'll have to talk about the next episode before i can tell you how what Tao says here is tied together because what he was saying was that one of the cities in his prophecy one of the cities will be destroyed by the white men and uh there are seven cities of gold total that's something we haven't said yet so there are seven cities of gold and they're specifically they're not all together or anything they're all separated so they're specifically searching for one at least initially one that they have the trail of. Mendoza and his crew, they hear the gunshot, so they are finally able to meet up with the rest of them. But Tao runs off with Zia to uh, this cave because he needs her to translate some Incan. Of course, that's what her basically what her role is. And also to uh, complete this prophecy to unleash the Solaris... Uh, sailing ship or something I think he says right and one thing that I really liked was the thing that she was translating and I don't know how historically accurate this is but it was like a series of like like tiny ropes or threads with knots in very specific positions and I guess those knots in the positions they were in that was actually an actual message like that was their way of recording something and so she was like you know looking at the knots and going over them and and translating that and I thought that was super cool because yeah that's kind of like like, uh, 
Morse code even. Yeah, it's not like something written on a tablet. Like it's not like a written language. It's just something basically a message woven into this thing that only she herself could translate. And I just thought that was super awesome. Yeah, that was really interesting. I, I, you know, I didn't even think about that. I was just like, well, maybe there's a little writing on there or something. But I didn't even think that it was in knots. But that's why she was counting them. That makes sense. Now. Yeah, and she was like, you know, put it down and was like spreading it out on the concrete. Mm-hmm. So that she could see each knot and everything and what position it was in, in compared to the knots on the thread next to it and stuff. So that was really cool. That was an awesome idea. Yeah. Um, so when Mendoza and Pedro and Sancho come in, well, with Esteban to rescue her, Tao's basically like, you know, back off, like get away or I'll unleash the beast of the um, <laughs> the beast of the temple. And- I love the beast. What I'm thinking first is like, how long has this thing been trapped there? How does it stay right. alive? Like, I was I, thinking I don't, that too. I was, I was thinking at first it's going to be like a dead beast. It's like, oh, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's been a while. <laughs> well, but no, maybe so, now we know how Tao's grandpa and dad died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe it, the beast has been living off of them for a while. Right. He Yeah, he, he portions them. Uh, yeah. it, it, it basically, it's a giant lizard. It's kind of like a big, uh, it's like a Gila monster, right? A giant and one, a really giant one. And it doesn't really do anything like it's threatening, <laughs> it really doesn't. but then what happens is Mendoza fires a pistol at it. And as he shoots his pistol, it's like the echo in the temple is so loud that it's essentially like the sound of thunder in there. And yeah. the temple starts to fall apart. It, the the ceiling falls down on the beast, and so that's you know that's <laughs> I like, gone. What happens there is the beast. Like once it starts happening, the beast just kind of slowly starts backing up. Like ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> and then a piece of the inside. ceiling smashes him. I'm like, oh dude, he didn't even get to do anything. He just straight up walked out of his little like cave he's in, and then just dies. It's like it's like Bowser in the original Mario games where you just jump on the axe and he just falls in the lava. But so he uh, yeah, so the temple starts to fall apart. This giant mural that's on the the back wall starts to break up also um, in, in the process. Tao gets a, a giant rock dropped on him. And so he's trapped under it. And then we get to see like a, a good side of Mendoza where he tries to help him out like he gets his men to all come pull on the rock and help to get him out while while Esteban is pulling on Tao's arms and then like right as they pull him out another rock drops that would have crushed him had he stayed under there yeah because so, the one that was on him like split in half so he would have died for sure exactly so it's kind of like and I mean needless to say he decides to join their crew he essentially has a life debt to them now um, yeah. it, that's not really a spoken thing, but that's kind of the way I was looking at it is he owes them and, you know, he, he realizes they're not bad people if they saved him or at least, um, it doesn't seem like they are. And so, uh, the mural in the back cracks and cracks open and reveals the Solaris, which is this amazing looking ship. It actually looks really awesome. It, it still looked like golden and ancient and stuff, but it was like sleek, you know? There was some sort of like modernness to it, which was really awesome. Yeah, as opposed to the wooden ships that were mostly being sailed, this one was like completely metal. Uh, it had metal. gold gold trim. Yeah, it was very metal. It had really gold metal. trim to it, and it had like a ton of, uh, I guess, automatic rowers, so they didn't really need a crew more than just the four or five of them. Right, and so this is where like... 
the show kind of starts taking a, a turn. I don't want to say it's weird, but it wasn't what I expected. And that You're, it starts yeah. getting into like almost science fiction-y in a way. Because exactly. now there's like these ancient machines. Because I mean, this thing, you know, paddles itself. And then once we get into the next episode, there are straight up some machines. And I'm like, yeah. well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> right. No, I'm completely with you there. Like up until that point, I was like, all right. I can buy all this stuff. I know it's not direct history, but I could see all these things happening. And then that's when it takes a turn where it's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that one. That's a little bit of a stretch for me. Yeah. And it just keeps going a little bit wilder from that point forward. But I, I didn't dislike that. I was just surprised by it. I just didn't see that coming with mm-hmm. this show. It, you know, it reminds me of like that television show Lost, how it started as one thing where it was just, you know, the trap on this island and it's kind of a survivor story thing at first, but then it becomes this crazy science fiction-y thing with time travel and all kinds of stuff. And you're like, what? Like, that is yeah. not how this show started. Oh, man. So it was kind of like that, except this was way better than Lost. <laughs> yeah, like, and if this if this part was a little weird, jumping into the next episode, just everything changes, and yes. it's a completely different attitude from the not attitude, I guess it's the same general idea, but it's a it's a completely different feeling than the rest of the episodes were. Yeah. But uh, the history lesson in the second episode was something about the lost kingdom of Hiva, destroyed by volcanoes and waves. And something I I noticed on this one and and even the next one is at the very end of those little documentary segments, the person talks so fast, like he's rushed. And <laughs> they talk uh, super quick. Yeah, just very quickly. Like it's like he starts at a normal pace and it just speeds up as he goes. Right. But yeah, so the last episode we watched for today's show was the highest rated episode, which was The City of Gold, season one, episode 37. And on this one, they actually find the City of Gold. Yeah. And one of them anyway. You did it. Yay. But there's but. so much complication <laughs> to that. Yeah, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. There's people guarding the doors to the city. There are these weird alien looking dudes in these flying <laughs> machines. Yes coming after them and they had kidnapped Tao and they're holding him hostage and I'm like what is happening like yeah, this my, is completely different than what I thought it was my notes on the opening part are like golden condor Tao prisoner yeah Olmec machine aliens what is all this <laughs> yeah I was so confused <laughs> I don't even know where to begin on this episode yeah like I was seeing at the beginning uh, in the the marshmallows the Olmecs like they look like aliens, but I, they're supposed to be like the Olmecs officially, like because Olmec uh, was an actual culture or actual um, people. They were like the, one of the first ancient civilizations, and so in this instance, what has happened is they cryogenically froze themselves after this war, this nuclear war that uh, seemingly has mutated them after the fallout. And um, so they've cryogenically frozen themselves to stay alive. And I guess they've been unleashed and or and are looking for the City of Gold because there's something there that will help them to survive. And I don't know if they say it exactly in this episode, but they are at least talking about it. Did it say where they were from before they froze themselves? Because they mm-hmm. give some more lore in this, but I don't remember if they said 
if the Olmecs were from either place because they were talked about how um, they brought in Atlantis, which was really cool. And they were talking about Atlantis was this big civilization. So yeah. I didn't know where the Olmecs fit into that, if they were part of that or if they were a separate thing. No, I think the Olmecs are part of it. I don't know which side of it or anything like that. But the, the fact that you say the kind of the nuclear bombs or the sun powered weapons makes me think that they were a part of that as well. Um, but when we see the like flashback of the war between Atlantis and Heva, it's like there's tanks, there's jets, like it looked very, it was like a futuristic thing. It was almost like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away type yeah, thing. It was very Star Warsian in that way and mm-hmm. that it's like an ancient civilization that's extremely advanced. Right. They, it's thought that just a volcano eruption did it, but then we hear the actual story yeah. um, from uh, I, the, the Hyde tribesman, who is this guy in a mask. And let me ask you this, like, was it your thought that that was Esteban's father? I, you know, it, it came to mind, but I kind of don't think it's him. But I okay. did wonder at first, but in retrospect, I don't think that's his dad. I, the only reason I think it's him is because there's so much mystery behind him. And generally, people who are behind a shroud like that have some kind of big secret. And since he is on the hunt for his father, I would think it would be perfect if that was him. But it could I don't be. know for sure. If it turns out to be him, that would be very satisfying. Mm-hmm. It, it would be awesome. I'm just I'm just not sure because I felt like maybe the thing he was wearing was like ceremonial in some way. But yeah, I don't know. It, it could go either way and I would be fine with either outcome. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of this as weird as it got in this last episode, like I was still along for the ride. I, that's how well this show did for me is because even though it was kind of jumping around in the, the kind of uh, presentation it had. I was following along the whole time. At no point did it lose me. That's just a sign of a very successful um, presentation if you can do that, if you can make all those leaps and still have the attention or have someone's attention. Yeah, I agree. This was attention grabbing for me is that apparently Zia is also a child of the sun. Yes. And I did not know that. And all of a sudden, like, we find out she has one of those pendants also. So they're both there. They're both the children of the sun with the pendants, and they can open the door if they choose. They're given the choice, which is interesting. And the reason that they're given a choice, I thought it was going to be kind of hokey at first, but it made some sense. They can't trust men or adults with this power, so they left it in the hands of children. Like, you get to decide. You're innocent. You decide if if we open this or not. So I thought that was cool, yet irresponsible as hell. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit irresponsible, but I did like the message behind it, the the innocence of children being the driving factor. And in this situation, they're kind of put up against the wall where it's like they don't want to let the Olmecs in to have all this power at their hands. But at the same time, the Olmecs have Tao hostage and they've essentially dangled him by a rope and are kind of slamming him against the side of the mountain. Yeah, that was kind of brutal, honestly. That went much farther than I thought it would. Yeah. So They were literally slamming his body against rocks. And uh, eventually, of course, you know, Esteban being the, the good person that he is, is like, none of the rest of this matters, like, regardless of what anyone says. 
um, we have to save Tao. He's our friend. And I thought that was a really like, I, I don't, not so much heartfelt because it was like, it was predictable that that was going to happen, but it felt yeah. good. Like I got, it lifted my spirits to know that even up against that kind, those kind of odds, like he would still make that choice for his friend. Yeah. And it's, it feels like something a child would do. Like yeah. child's innately are way more in empathic than adults of course so he's like of course he's gonna do whatever he can to save his friend so yeah that was cool but that's um, why it was a smart decision to give it to leave it in the hands of a child because if it was like mendoza or something he'd be like no absolutely not like you're not getting this like I i'm sorry tau but we'll see we i can't don't know let them have this power I have the feeling Mendoza would have opened it because Mendoza just wants that gold, you know, and, and like still through all this stuff. I don't trust Mendoza. I feel like he's <laughs> had and you know, I think he's out for the gold and really nothing else, but he needs those kids alive to do it. So if the situation was reversed, I don't know that he would save tower or not. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, I think he would, I think he'd go ahead and open it and get some gold. Maybe. I just feel like Mendoza is like, um, a scoundrel with a heart of gold. Could be. But. Or maybe he's looking for a heart of gold and that's why he would open the door. Cause that's where <laughs> the gold is. It could be. <laughs> a scoundrel looking for a heart of gold. True. Exactly. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> they put their amulets in, the door opens, and it's just so shiny. It's so pretty. It's like, yeah, it as really it is. would be with all that gold reflecting everything. And, it was uh, very cool animation. Yeah, that. it looked really nice. And I like how it was like almost like faded out some or kind of blurry, and then it comes into yeah. focus. Yep. And it looks huge. Like, there's some distance to this thing. Yeah. When I was thinking City of Gold, I was thinking it was going to be, like, a few, like, huts or something. But this is, like, a big City of Gold. Yeah. It was really awesome. And it's just one of the seven, which is crazy. But what I was talking about earlier was um, uh, Tao's prophecy where he's like, yeah, my uh, the prophecy says that the white men will destroy one of the Cities of Gold. And in this situation, those white men happen to be the Olmecs. And eventually they do destroy this city uh, of gold. It is ultimately destroyed. But that's kind of where, and I don't know the rest of all what happens. I just know that part of it. But that's kind of where the second, the 2012 series picks up is when they're looking for the other cities of gold. And that's how that series that's can continue. Yeah. Oh man, cool. Because it, it, even though it seems like this is the ultimate thing and they found the city of gold, like this is literally only one of the seven. So this right. grand adventure was all just for uh, a small part of the, the whole thing. So this show could have gone on for a very long time. Is there any indication why it was only one season? I, I know it was canceled, but I don't know why. My assumption would be just uh, maybe poor ratings or maybe it just had a bad time slot or something. I don't know. It could be. And it's just probably why like we've never even heard of it until now. Yeah, because, I mean, like you, like you were saying, like, I, I really enjoyed the show. Uh, so I guess, Chris, it uh, looks like it's about time we send our inner kids back to the 1600s to hunt down some of those mysterious cities of gold with Mendoza's crew. And then, assuming they're not sacrificed to any Mayan, Incan, or Omec gods, find out what they thought of this show. I thought this cartoon was going to be really stupid, but it was so much fun. Sailing across the ocean, looking for treasure. What's not to like? I gave this show four and a half bowls of mysterious golden cereal out of five. And now I want to learn how to talk really fast just like them. Okay, bye. 
To be perfectly honest, I'm not really into history class at school, and initially, I was worried the show was going to be a real bore. Fortunately, I was quickly proven wrong. Each episode got a little bit cooler, a lot bit weirder, and managed to grab my attention even for the short historically accurate segments at the end. All that said, I'm gonna give this show 4.5 big bowls of silly Olmex gold is for kids cereal out of 5. I think this fun, action-packed cartoon was a perfect vessel for delivering historical facts to kids, and I definitely recommend you check it out. Just a heads up though to parents, you may want to screen those documentary segments at the end because some of them got a little intense and a little bit bloody too. For instance, I now know why guys are really after the pretty girls. They make the best sacrifices to the sun god. Well, yeah, of course. Can you think of a better way to stay warm? Yeah, that's why I only date pretty girls. <laughs> so I can make sacrifices to the sun god. All hail the mighty sun god. <laughs> Lava Jesus. Uh, it always goes back to Lava Jesus from Battle of the Planets. Always. I mention that at least once a month, I think. You, you mention it to me all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I try to. I try to keep it relevant. So do you have any final thoughts on this show? Uh, final thoughts, Um, just kind of like, just to reiterate my kid a little bit, I think that uh, it was really well done in the sense that it was a way to deliver history lessons, kind of, in within the show, but definitely afterwards where it gives you those small segments because once you you've grabbed the kid's attention it's like okay like i'm paying attention now and then here comes those segments better do it then than like at the beginning of the show or anything i think that was a perfect time for that but overall the show itself i just really enjoyed i thought it was a fun adventure it was much more exciting than i thought it was going to be uh given the I mean, the name mysterious cities of gold it sounds kind of cool but you don't really know what you're getting yourself into and i this Surpassed my expectations, so I very much enjoyed it. This was a great adventure cartoon, and I just, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect going in. Um, I didn't think I'd get as sucked into it as I did. I mean, on the surface, it looks like it's, you know, just for children, but there's all these really interesting aspects. Um, for adults, like having, um, seeing some of the characters almost have this semi-misplaced worship to a degree, and Mendoza, who I just couldn't really fully trust. He might have ulterior motives. You don't really know, at least from what we've seen. There's this looming fear driven by race with Tao expecting the white man to destroy the cities. Lots of really subtle but thought-provoking ideas. And um, just all this mixed with the adventure, with the excitement, with the constant action and drama. Like, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. And I honestly would love to watch more of this. Yeah, I'm really curious about the 2012, uh, the uh, continuation, the sequel, I guess. Yeah, we're going to have to hit that eventually. That'll be our uh, look back at Mysterious Cities of Gold. Cool. So uh, thank you, Shane, for suggesting this. It was Obviously, we very much enjoyed it, surprisingly. Yeah, really. Thank you, Shane. Well, listeners, looks like our milk supply has now run dry, so it's time for us to say goodbye. Next week, we'll be watching... Case Closed, submitted by Rochelle via date night. Oh, man, I'm excited about that. Uh, Detective Conan. She really likes it. I've heard you talk about it, that you've really wanted to watch it. I don't mm -hmm. know much about it other than it's like a, a mystery-ish kind of thing, so I'm excited. And we haven't had an anime for a while, so it'll be cool to get another one. You know, this was kind of an anime itself, actually, since you say that. Yeah, yeah. now that I think about it, this sort of was, but it, do it doesn't look like the traditional kind of anime. Yeah, very true. It doesn't have the anime tropes to it at all. No, not at all. Not even close. Because you didn't even know it was Japanese made. Right. All right. Well, once again, I'm Joseph. And I'm Chris. And we'll see you next Saturday. Presented by Nerd Sloth.
a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com. 